Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stacy and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Dan Church, head coach of the York University women's hockey team. Dan is a well-known name in women's hockey with a lengthy career that includes multiple positions with Hockey Canada. Personable by nature, he has a humble approach to his answers, but you can quickly see that there is a lot of intelligence when it comes to the game and working with the people in it. With that, here's Dan Church, head coach with the York University women's hockey team. As Hockey Minds, we love to watch the game of hockey, whether you're on the bench as a coach, in the stands as a scout, or maybe you're an equipment manager just peeking around the corner of the hall, you love to watch the players do their thing on the ice. Even when we're home, there's nothing better than sitting back on the couch and watching a game of NHL hockey. Well, you know what? Sometimes you gotta switch sports, the game's not on. For me, I like to switch to football, and others feel the same. So Pigskin fans, the moment you have all been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to his players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today we're joined by Dan Church, head coach of the York University women's hockey team. Dan, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure to be here, Ryan. I'm very happy to have you on today, you know, coaching the women's game. It's always something I like to uh, get some perspective on. And um, you've had some success and and working with Hockey Canada and, uh, you know, some different programs. So I think there's a lot to learn here and we'll we'll dive right into it. 
How about you just start off giving a little bit of a background on yourself, including where you're from, maybe talk about your upbringing, and then speak to your involvement in sports, you know, throughout your youth. Yeah, I um, I grew up in the Toronto area in North York, um, one of the kind of uh, little uh, cities within the city, uh, which is now part of the mega city of Toronto. Um, my my dad was from Ireland, so he emigrated here when he was a teenager uh, for work. I think he was 19 when he first came over, and my mom uh, has been here was here for a long, long time. So, uh, and then they met, and of course. I came along, um, but you know, uh, early on, uh, I didn't really have any involvement in hockey because it was a foreign thing for my father. He watched it on TV, but he never skated. He played uh, Gaelic uh, games, so he played Gaelic football and hurling and uh, uh, soccer and stuff like that. So more European based, and that's where I started. And then, uh, but I always had this affinity for hockey, and I begged and pleaded uh, as a little kid to be able to play. And eventually my parents relented and allowed me to, to move over and play some hockey. And I just, I've, I fell in love with it from the very first time I stepped on the ice and played um, throughout my childhood and youth all the way up uh, and went to the University of Toronto. And uh, my desire was to play there. And I got injured and uh, tore up my quadriceps in training camp. Um, and that really kind of ended my playing career. Um, just because of timing and I, I kind of regret not having gone back after that but uh, it, it led me into coaching and I'm, I'm a far better coach than I ever was a player I think I was a good player but I think I'm a much better coach so that's kind of my early childhood and, and I played golf as well that was a passion of my father's and and I was probably more talented in golf than I ever was in any other sport and, and I actually played professional golf for uh, about 10 years or so, a little bit on the Canadian tour. And I was a, a club professional teaching lessons and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, a bit of a varied um, upbringing. And I think I played probably every sport growing up at one point or another, uh, whether it was recreationally or competitively. So a good sport background, uh, which led me, you know, to a career in coaching by accident. Yeah. And then, you know, with coaching, uh, a lot of that times with, with a coach, it comes from the love of sports and whether it's hockey or other sports, as we've heard on the podcast uh, from other guests, you know, there's always that involvement uh, for a lot of people, you know, early on. And um, always interesting to hear when the parents maybe aren't as involved in the sport, for example, you and, and your dad in hockey, but still you found your way into the game and, you know, coaching would be the route that you would take. And maybe the coaching as a, a club professional uh, had some, you know, something to do with that as well. But let's dive into your first opportunity, first time coaching university. Just talk about how you got that position as an assistant coach and the process of uh, starting that first role. Yeah, well, it was, you know, I think it was good timing. And I think when you surround yourself and you have kind of good people in your life and then opportunities come up, I think. Uh, so one of my close high school friends was involved coaching in women's hockey um, when we were in university. Before I was in university, he got involved in coaching, uh, which back then was called uh, Central Ontario Women's Hockey League, which then through its permutations became the Canadian Women's Hockey League and which is now defunct, but, you know, basically was the top players, all the, what would be uh, Olympic athletes uh, were playing in that league. And so it was kind of good timing uh, that 
my career in playing had finished and uh, he said, hey, I need someone to run the D and I played D and uh, for what then was called the Newton Brook Panthers. And I said, oh, okay, um, I can come and help out. And it was really my first exposure to women's hockey other than uh, watching it on TV and seeing the pink jerseys in, in 1990. And uh, then all of a sudden I was on the ice coaching and there's, you know, players like Angela James and Laura Schuler and uh, Vicky Sanahara so, and Karen Nystrom. And I was just amazed at how good the players were. And, and, but there was also a really great opportunity for coaching. And our mentor coach for that team was Kieran Hughes, who was the head coach at the University of Toronto. And I was a student there. And uh, after that season, she asked if I'd come and run the D at U of T. And that's kind of, you know, how I started as a volunteer assistant. And I was, I was in my last year of school uh, when I started coaching and, uh, yeah, it was just a great opportunity and uh, kind of got me started off on the right foot with an amazing mentor in Karen. Karen knows so, knew so much about the game and um, it was just a privilege to be able to coach there. Definitely. And anytime you have somebody that can teach you the ropes, you know, early on, it makes a difference and you get a little bit of confidence, you know, running the D, you know, you get some responsibility and you take that into your next position. Moving forward, you would make your way to York and, and you've been there for quite some time. So Maybe just talk about the early days at York, how you found yourself there and the process of, you know, growing as a coach with that program and, uh, you know, just your experience overall. Well, I, I coached at U of T for seven years as an assistant coach. And I think for me, it was an amazing, um, it was like a masterclass in, in learning how to coach. Karen was, you know, the national, a national team coach. She'd gone to the Olympics um, in Salt Lake and um, she'd been part of the national team coaching pool for you know, since its inception in the mid nineties. And so it was an amazing learning opportunity. And it was an interesting time in women's hockey, you know, back then the CIAU, which is now U sports, but um, it was, you know, in 1997, it became, uh, you know, a national championship, uh, which was exciting. And then the 98 was the Olympics. And so there was a huge groundswell in uh, women's hockey and more and more programs were being introduced in the OUA when I first started had six teams and then quickly grew to eight teams. And now we're at 13 teams, but uh, York was one of the founding members, but there was this move towards uh, having a professional coach, you know, someone who you paid as a full-time coach. And so, um, you know, a couple schools had started that, um, University of Alberta and then Ottawa were the first kind of full-time coaches. And then in the early 2000s, York decided because their program, you know, was kind of uh, perpetually in the bottom that they wanted to have a full-time coach. And so they posted it and it was, it was the right opportunity at the right time. And I didn't even know about it until my friend, the same friend who got me into coaching said, Hey, uh, York's posted for a full-time coach. You should apply. You'd probably, you'd get it. And I thought, I don't know if I want to coach for a living. I, I do it because I love the game and it's a passion. And um, it was just good timing in my life too, because uh, the golf course where I worked had been sold. And so it was kind of, uh, it was going to be converted to a school, which is now a sports school, the Bill Crothers School here in Markham. And I knew I was going to have to find something else. And so it was just good timing. And I went and, you know, the interview was quite easy for me because I just spoke from the heart. It was something that I loved and was passionate about. And I think that came across and 
uh, they offered me the position and I was going to turn it down because I didn't know if I wanted to leave U of T and all the players that I had recruited there. And it was a really tough decision. And another one of my close friends uh, told me I needed to take it because I would love it. And uh, I was just scared. And if I didn't take it, he'd beat the snot out of me. So <laughs> I took his advice and uh, I have loved every minute of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a story. And like you said, it, it's kind of hard to make that jump sometimes, especially when you've become comfortable, you know, seven years uh, at your first program and got to know the players and the staff. You you kind of want to continue to grow there. And, and then especially making a career change, you don't know if coaching is something that's going to be full time. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about how it can be unpredictable with positions. And, you know, it, it is a big step. But I think it's, it's fair to say that, uh, you know, you took the right advice and made the right decision and uh, you're still there today. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're working in a role like that as a coach over that amount of time, especially as a head coach, uh, you know, you develop your skills in the way you coach um, just as much as the players grow with you. Just talk about your own personal development during that time and maybe how your approach has changed, say, when you started to, you know, now. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um because I don't think you're ever a finished product as a coach, regardless of how successful you are, or how long you've been coaching. I think you're at least the good coaches are constantly learning and evolving. Uh, and the game is evolving all the time. I mean, the game today is not the same game you would have watched 20 years ago. Um, you know, just look back at, you know, during COVID when there wasn't much hockey on and they were replaying some of the old games and you could kind of go back and even for myself watching some of the old national team games that I coached in and I look back and I go, wow, the game is so different now, like just in terms of tactics and how we play. Um, you know, I think from an outside uh, observer, they wouldn't see those nuances, but for people who understand the game kind of in depth, you'd see some of some big glaring differences. So when I first started at York, I thought I knew everything. Of course, every assistant coach that uh, is ready to move to become a head coach thinks they know everything. And I quickly learned I knew, didn't know uh, enough. <laughs> uh, I, and I had a really great, as I said, mentor in Karen Hughes, and I understood the game and how to put together a yearly plan and run a great practice. And, and I thought my knowledge is my knowledge of the X's and O's would just translate to wins automatically that I would step in and I would just change structure and we would be able to compete. And when I realized that it, you know, the X's and O's are important. You have to have a solid foundation in the, the technical and tactical aspects of the game. But at the end of the day, I think the best coaches understand people and the relationships that have to be built to build a, a solid team. And so, uh, yeah, the, there's been evolution on the tactical side and the technical side uh, over my time at York. But I think the biggest growth in me as a coach is understanding people and understanding teams and culture and leadership. And uh, that's probably where the biggest growth has occurred and the biggest change as a coach. And I think as you become a coach, that's often you know, you have a foundation and you build that, but it's really understanding how to maximize the group of people that you have. And every year it's different. Even if it's the same, it's different. Anytime you have kind of an interruption and you come back, you have to reform that group. So that's probably where the biggest evolution has been for me as a coach. A lot of people on the podcast have talked about in that head coaching role, you know, like you said, it's not always just the tactics. You really have to do, uh, do have to deal with the personalities. And sometimes you just have to be a sounding board and and other times it's just, you know, communicating with your players because they learn tactics differently or, 
maybe they see things that you don't see and, and you have to communicate that as well. So a lot of different opportunities to grow. And, um, you know, most of the, the high level coaches who, and the people that stay in the game have that ability to grow their mindset and, and understand their players on that level. How you see the game has to change as you go from, like, I think being an assistant coach is the best pathway to becoming a good head coach because you can really learn a position uh, and take responsibility and, and, you know, grow your skills as opposed to, you know, some of my colleagues, they jump straight into head coaching and I can't imagine like, that's just like throwing someone in the deep end without knowing how to swim. At least I knew how to doggy paddle <laughs> um, to use the analogy, but um, I think you have to change how you see the game when you go from becoming an assistant coach where you're watching for me, you know, coaching D and I'm watching six people play the game to becoming a head coach and now you're having to watch 20 people play the game. I think your, your eye changes and how you see the game. And, and I think really good coaches see not just that there are 20 players, but you know, the 40 players that are taking place in the game too, you know, or 38, because hopefully the backup goalies aren't going in because uh, it's meant that there's been lots of goals or something like that or an injury, but yeah. So you, you, I think as over time, the better you get, the more your vision can be broad and you can pick up more things in the game. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, as you pick up more things, people start to see that and it generates wins and, and interest in the team. And, you know, for coaches, when you get that opportunity to, you know, excel in your position, a lot of times you'll look to move to another level. And for you, that was involvement with Team Canada in a couple of different levels. So let's first talk about the U18 and U22 levels and your initial thoughts in that process and maybe just walk us through those experiences. Yeah, well, I think, um, again, Karen Hughes was a, a huge role model for me, and I was inspired by, you know, watching her coach with the national team, and um, I had a desire to do that, and uh, in 2006, uh, Hockey Canada decided to build, to, to kind of reform this idea of a coaching pool, and I think there were probably 16 or 17 coaches that there might've been 20 that applied and they took 15 or 16. And the idea was they would rotate you through different positions within the program to gain different experiences. So I did everything from video coaching, uh, being an assistant coach and then becoming a head coach. And um, so it really rounded out my skills as a coach and understanding short-term competition versus full season, you know, long-term competition. And, um, and also just, you know, I think understanding how do you build a development plan for athletes to improve over time. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot in those early years where I, I was just a development coach, like an extra coach at a camp and a video coach. And I had no idea how to do video. This is back in the day before there was software to do video where we, we, we and, and we were lucky we didn't have to go from, you know, VHS to VHS, like in the old school days, like Roger Nielsen, but we used iMovie and we would just record the whole game and then go back and clip it and uh, pull it out. And so it was a much more uh, laborious process, but I learned, I had never done it before. And they said, Oh, do you want to do video? And I was like, yep, sure. <laughs> and I just threw myself in and I was afraid of course, but I learned a skill set there that, you know, you can figure stuff out. And I think that serves me well now when there's all this amazing software, but not being afraid to make a mistake with, with technology and, and using it as a great tool. And then that just led me into to coaching. And, uh, you know, I coached under some really 
good coaches with the national team at the under 22 level. And um, Canada had played, I think it was, they'd played two championships and this was the third. And Julie Healy at the time was the uh, manager of the women's program. And she came to me and she said, I think you're ready. And we really need a strong coach to coach this group. Um, you know, and we haven't won at that U18 level. And I think you could do a great job. And would you be interested? And I said, yeah, of course, <laughs> I'd love to coach this team. So I'd coached a couple of years with the under 22s first and then went back and coached the under 18s. And, and that was an amazing experience in 2009, 2010. Yeah, Hockey Canada really does have a great system for giving you opportunities to learn and, and video coaching. You know, that's a, an area that a lot of people are not too interested in kind of just diving in because like you said, technology is for some people a little bit of a learning curve. And especially when you're just clipping a game on iMovie, I mean, that's a, a lot of people who've gone through that would not want to do that today. But I mean, it, like you said, you can learn um, something through that experience and, and use it moving forward. Continuing on Hockey Canada, you know, you kept moving up and later you would be at the higher level programs as an assistant coach and later a head coach. Uh, just talk about those experiences and maybe how they differed from the uh, the early experiences with U18 and the under 22. I think when you're coaching, um, like the under 18s really are the most raw they're the most talented and most raw athletes in the national team program. And so um, they're easier to coach because they don't know anything at that level. So it's really that you're building in kind of habits that are going to help them hopefully elevate to the national team at some point. The under 22s have had a little bit of a taste. And so now they're really in that competitive mode. And, and it, again, it's a great opportunity as a coach because you really help to develop their game uh, pointing them towards um, the national team, you know, and they're getting closer and closer. And then when you get to the national team, uh, the athletes know so much. And so uh, it can be really intimidating, I think, for some coaches thinking, oh, I, I, I'm coaching an amazing player that I've watched on TV and that's been to the Olympics and, you know, a star in their own right. And I think for me, I always just approach it that they, they're just a player that needs a coach. You know, they can't see everything because they only see it through their lens and the coach can see it from that kind of 30,000 foot view and, and it's a necessary part of the game. So I think going in as an assistant coach with the national team, uh, I learned a lot. I, I wish I could go back in time too, because I made a lot of mistakes and I wasn't a good assistant coach at times because I thought I knew, I thought I knew more than the head coach sometimes. And that's never a good place to be. I don't think you do your best work. It's very, it's very egotistical and, and selfish. So, um, you know, I wish I could go back and change some of the things when I was an assistant coach, but at the same time, it was a really amazing learning opportunity. And I think every coaching opportunity you take, um, you know, when you're an assistant coach, you take the things you like from an, a head coach and you also say, I think I would probably do this a little bit different. Uh, and that's part of learning and growing and, and part of that kind of uh, apprenticeship that you get. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, there's so many ways to go about moving into the next level. And as an assistant coach and, and head coach, like you said, you, you take so many things uh, that are positives, but also, you know, almost as an anti-mentor or, um, you know, just little things that you're like, maybe I shouldn't do this, or maybe you would do it a different way. So always interesting to hear um, the approach, especially when you're, you know, with the, the top women's players in the country and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to coach them as opposed to others that you've done in the past. 
having worked and prepared for both tournaments and seasons, I know you touched on that a little bit earlier. How does the length of a program change your approach? And what are some things that you need to look at or simply consider as a result of these different lengths uh, in tournament and a season? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a really interesting question because the game doesn't ever change. So I think, you know, um, a short-term competition is just more intense in terms of the timing. And, you know, you, you don't have time to build your game over the course of months. You have it over a course of days, maybe a couple of weeks if you're lucky, if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, at a, you know, a world championship or something like that. But, you know, it is a more intense um, kind of lab that you're working in that you have to get these results from quickly. Um, I think when you're coaching in a full season program, you know you have, oh, the month of September, I'm gonna have some some exhibition games and I'm gonna be able to experiment with lineups and, and try a bunch of different things. And we'll slowly ramp up as we get towards regular season so that we have you know our game in a good place and then we'll refine from there. Where you have to come in and in the first three days, you have to kind of have your whole system of play really you know implemented and, and set now it's a lot easier because you're working with the best players in the country and, and they can pick the things up faster. But uh, I think that's one of the differences, you know, from coaching in short-term competition to full season. And even with the national team, like what you get to do, you know, in a world championship cycle versus an Olympic cycle, the, the amount that the, the Olympic team and those players grow in a centralized year is so much more than what they can do in a year to year basis where they're coming in for, a couple of weeks at a time. I think so as approach, as a coach, you have to be more organized and you have to be uh, better planned and you have to, um, you know, you have to be uh, really rigid in terms of what you're going to bring in and how you're going to accomplish things and understand kind of the physiology and all that sort of stuff. So there's lots of great people that can help you. But I think as a coach, you have to have that plan in place of how you're going to evolve the group over a short period of time. And, that, and that's a bigger challenge. Yeah, the planning really does uh, come into consideration. But as you touched on and kind of my thought process as well is, you know, with those short term teams, a lot of times it's elite players and you have great staff members who are, you know, very strong communicating and have have the same goal in mind. So there's a lot of ways to, you know, get around maybe the struggles that you have throughout a season, but, you know, just adaptability and people willing to take different roles in that situation. But an interesting topic that uh, others have asked about in the past. So I thought I'd bring it up to you, uh, given mm-hmm. your experience. For those who have not yet experienced the feeling of winning a medal or, or having success on an international stage, um, describe the feeling of that moment and what kind of thoughts go through your head. I think it's different for everybody. I mean, um, I can be an emotional person, you know, but um, like I, I'm probably not over exuberant when it comes to celebration and stuff like that. I think I'm a bit more understated. So I, for, I think for me as a coach, it's a rewarding feeling to win, to know that the planning and, and the work that you've put in has resulted. I, you know, you're really happy for the players and the staff in particular. Like, I think for me, that was always the, the best feeling was watching their experience of winning and seeing the joy on their faces and the celebration. And especially when you see a, a, you know, a a player for the first time get to put a world championship medal on, 
uh, or a staff member who's never had that opportunity uh, and they get to put a medal on, like that's really rewarding. Like you feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, but honestly, the winning moment is not the most special moment for me. It's like all the moments that lead up to that. And then kind of the moments after that too, like just remembering everything that you did together is way more special to me. Like the process of it I, is way more immersive uh, experience for me as a coach than the actual celebration. So um, it's kind of a relief when you win uh, at that level in some ways and you feel a sense of accomplishment, but it, for me, it was never about, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm a winner now, you know, like it, it was more about the process of learning and growing together that I really feel connected to as a coach. And um, yeah, it's almost anticlimactic for me, like that it is winning, but it's like, just, I want to be in those moments where you're competing. And like, I've often heard over the years where, you know, some people are like, oh, uh, losing in the gold medal game is the worst. And it, it, it's, you know, having also been in that experience at the world championship, it is, it's gut wrenching when you lose an overtime or you lose a close game, but I would rather be in that game. All, you know, some people say, oh, I'd rather win a bronze than you know, a silver because you've lost a game. And I'm like, no, put me in that game that matters every single time, even if you lose and statistically you're going to lose more often than you win. But I'd rather be in that moment of competition because I think that's where the real thrill is for me is just that the excitement and that you have to be focused and, um, and how much you actually learn from those moments is way, a way better experience. So for me, it's the process being immersed in that moment is more important than the actual celebration after. Yeah, I, I figured that would be along the lines of the answer, just with the competitive nature of people in a position like yourself. And, uh, you know, it comes down to the, the, you know, enjoy the journey more than the destination and the process and the experiences, like you said. So, uh, you know, always interesting to hear people who've made it to the top, just what their thoughts are on, on that conversation. There's a, a, you know, Jocko Willink, who is a, a writer, he has a podcast of his own, he's a former Navy SEAL, but he talks about Sisyphus, you know, the guy constantly pushing the rock up the hill. And one of his podcasts says, you know, like true performers, <clears throat> if they ever got the rock to the top of the hill, would push it right back down and start pushing again. It's not about the moment of getting to the top, but it's that, it's that constant push of that rock, which is where the joy is. And I think for me as a coach and for a lot of great athletes and for people that do th things well, I think in anything, it's, it's the actual doing of it that is that pushing of the rock, that Sisyphean moment, that's more special. Definitely. And that kind of transitioned into the next part of the question. You know, once you complete that level of success, uh, maybe for you personally, you enjoy the journey. So it's easy to, to stay hungry for that next challenge. But um, for athletes who, you know, a lot of them from experience with working with players, a lot of them, you know, kind of enjoy that moment a little bit differently. Uh, how do you work with that team and those players, you know, second time around, third time around, keep them hungry and motivated moving forward. Yeah. I think one of the great things about coaching with the national team is you don't have to have, you, like, you really don't have to do much to motivate players. Um, and, I, and I'm a big believer <clears throat> that coaches can't really do much to motivate players anyway. Like there has to be this intrinsic motivation to have, you know, to achieve great things. Like if I have to be responsible for your motivation, you know, then 
nothing really like I'm constantly having to drive you to success or drive you someplace that you don't want to go. And you can maybe do that over a short period of time, but over the long period of time, it's just exhausting for both parties, you know, like it's this constant pulling um, as opposed to, you know, with a national team or with when you're in a program, you know, where my program is at York right now, um, I'm not having to push them to success. They're, they're leading me like they're kind of, let's go, you know, like it's, it's a mutual thing. And I think that's the thing with the national team too, is once that, you know, they'll celebrate for a couple days or whatever, if they win a gold medal, but then they want to win the next one, you know, because it's such an amazing uh, experience. They want to do it all over again. And they love the challenge. They, again, they want to be in that moment of competition. So I think you don't really have to, you know, with top performers, you don't have to do much to motivate them. Um, I think what's important for motivation for them is to have the time off that they need to recharge the battery, to recover from the experience they've just gone through so they can ramp up to the next experience. And I think that's where the art of coaching is to understand how to change rest and volume and all those types of things, even through a season to impact how people feel uh, both physically and emotionally. And if you can get that kind of recipe right, then it's easy to stay uh, for the intrinsic motivation to come out, I think a little bit easier. So um, I think that's the art of coaching is to understand the people, which comes back to that kind of earlier question about, you know, what's most important and it's the relationships and the understanding. And I think for me as a coach, I, I get a better, like I'm just coming into my prime now, 23 years into my coaching career. Like I'm just starting to figure it out, you know? So, uh, and maybe I'm a slow learner, but uh, like, I think that's, that's the journey uh, that I'm on and, and what keeps me motivated is that next challenge. And I think for top, top athletes, it's the same. Yeah. And that top challenge oftentimes is the Olympic level for the women's hockey and, and being the best players in the world. And, you know, you've been in that stage and, and worked with those top players and, and seeing the top players from around the world. I know earlier we mentioned how Canada had grown in Ontario specifically, but just seeing teams on the international stage in different countries with, with the recent boost in the game moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, like globally, it's amazing to see um, the, the game grow. Um, you know, there's so many different uh, countries now have national women's teams that compete in the IIHF World Championships at many different levels. But, you know, like even seeing a couple of years ago, um, Finland really should have won the world championships and kind of got robbed a little bit because of bad officiating. They should have beat the U.S. and won the gold medal there. That's an amazing story for women's hockey, because for so long, I think the critics of the game have said, well, it's always Canada, U.S. It's always Canada, U.S. And yet, um, you know, on the flip side that, you know, one of the things that reporters and media love is a, is a dynasty and a rivalry. Um, but it's just kind of interesting, like people are never satisfied, but I think we've seen tremendous growth in the game, even countries like Switzerland winning a, a medal and, um, teams kind of rising. Like I think China has, you know, with the, the Olympics that they're going to host has a great opportunity for another boom, uh, of hockey, uh, in their country if they really want it. And, um, I think there's so many good players, like, you know, not all the best players in the world are from Canada and the U S you know, now, 
and like Jenny Hirakoski, for example, is the best D in the in the world and has been probably for the last six or seven years. And uh, anybody that goes into a rink and watches her play is, you know, she's just phenomenal and uh, can really run a game. So I think what what it is is the depth of of player has improved so much. And I I see that in Canadian university sport, like. It, when I first started out coaching with U of T, there were two or three really amazing players and then a bunch of other players. And so there was a wide gap between the top players and the bottom players on your team. And now that gap is really, there is very little gap between the best player in, on a team and the worst player on a team. There's very little difference between the best team in the country and the worst team in the country anymore. You know, you're not seeing people get blown out by 10 goals anymore. Um, they're much, much closer games. And, and we're seeing that on the world stage too, where, you know, games are tighter and, and especially the top five teams in the world are really in, in every single game. It's, it's really positive to see that. And like you said, we're, you're seeing success from other countries on the international stage and that's inspiring others. And for a country like China with the Olympics, you know, they have an opportunity, like you said, to really grow the game and then build a model and inspire those looking to enter, you know, in their countries. So it's great to see uh, with any sport when other countries get involved. And even in the men's game, we're seeing that as well. Yeah. And I think you're going to see too, like pockets, you know, where there's a real rise of an area and Germany is a great example right now in the men's game where there was this kind of groundswell and you had a couple of good players and they had a moment where they did really well in international competition. And that inspired, you know, kind of teenagers and, you know, in the NBA, in the basketball sense, you saw, you know, Vince Carter in Toronto, how many more Canadians then started playing basketball. And then you've seen this amazing, I think Canada has the most number of NBA players other than the United States. Um, when you look at NBA rosters now, and that's, that's that effect from, you know, the mid nineties or early nineties with the Toronto Raptors. And I think, um, you know, you saw that in women's hockey with, um, you know, a country like Switzerland, they win on, a, you know, they win a medal and that just inspires a bunch of uh, young girls to say, oh, I want to do that too. And then they start to, to pick up the game. And, and so I think you're going to see these kind of um, swells like St. Louis as an area, all of a sudden, a few years ago, like, why, how did that happen? Well, you know, they were inspired by St. Louis Blues and a bunch of NHL players have kids. And then all of a sudden, I think there was what, 14 or 15 draft picks out of out of that area, which is not a hockey hotbed. But so I think that's an interesting thing from, you know, how populations in, in the game grow. And, and if, if you support the game properly, how things can really go well. Uh, and you can see this effect at the elite end of the game. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting area to study. And, uh, you know, coaches and people in the game love to study different areas and, and try to gain a competitive advantage and, and just grow their mindset overall. In 2019, you actually enrolled at York doing your master's in sports psychology. Uh, Many people and coaches have moved in the same direction. So why do you feel it's important that you move in this direction and and try that? And then how do you think it will benefit you and your players potentially down the road? Yeah, I think I I wanted to do it. Uh, In the back of my mind, I I thought I always want to go back to school and do a master's and and figuring out what kind of master's I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to do something around leadership because it's a passion. I love to learn about it. And so um, the right opportunity came along and it took a long time for me to kind of find the right person as well. So I'm really 
fortunate to be uh, with my advisor, uh, Jessica Fraser Thomas, who really kind of lets me go in whatever direction I want to go and supports me in that. And uh, I think as a coach, it helps, it's already helped me in what I, in the research I've done to understand leadership and how leadership works and how it's changing and evolving. And um, I think for me, that was kind of the, the thing I, I understood about watching top teams, top coaches, top programs was it wasn't the necessarily, yeah, they have, they have good players, but it's this culture that they create that allows them to be successful because you often will see an example of the most talented team that underachieves versus a team that is talented, but then overachieves. And what, what are the differences? And the differences are often leadership and culture. And, and I think those things go hand in hand. So I really immersed myself in learning more about that. And, um, and there's a huge, I think, void within hockey, actually, that hockey hasn't studied that academically um, to, the, to the degree, especially in the women's game. Um, and I think I'm excited about what I'm going to learn as I kind of move into the next phase, which is to hopefully start some research in the, in the spring here and, uh, and learn from players and coaches, um, which then I can share with the game. So I'm excited about that. I know that it's made a, a big impact on me as a person. I think it's trickled down to my players and our program and, and, uh, and has helped me become a better coach for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's just another avenue that you can use in the game of hockey and even just in your personal life. And once again, going back to those relationships with players and coaches, uh, anytime that you can get better in that area, I think it's a direction that people should look to move in. And uh, who knows what you'll find once you go through that process of researching and, and having those conversations. Speaking of conversations, a lot of people will learn through those interpersonal ways, but also learn through academics and uh, you know, using different softwares and trying different things. And the people at My Hockey Resource think the same way. They're a community on Discord with head coaches, scouts, video coaches, people all over the world talking about different topics and sharing different articles and resources. So for anybody listening to the podcast today who would like to learn about that, please check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Dan, for you, you know, you, you are an academic person and involved in the school. Uh, what are some of your favorite books, articles, or other ways that you look uh, for reference and new ideas? Yeah, um, I, there's a lot. I have a long list, obviously. My wife always says when I'm, even when I'm not working, I'm working because I can be watching uh, something like Top Chef or uh, Hell's Kitchen or The Bachelor last night <laughs> um, and still learn like for me that those are opportunities it's like a, a lab of human people and you can see uh, the interactions and the things that uh, make people successful or or, or hurt them uh, in terms of their ability to be successful and so like mindset is such a huge thing but um, some of my favorite books over the last couple of years I think The Culture Code is a really a great book for any coach to read about uh, what makes, and it it's analyzes cultures from all different walks of life in all different areas. Um, so I think that those are really, it's an amazing book. I, I would recommend that one highly by Daniel Coyle. Um, I like John Gordon's stuff a lot. So um, my favorite one, I have two favorites from him. You win in the locker room first that he did with Mike Smith, the football coach, a former coach from Atlanta. Um, easy read. And the other one that I really like from him is uh, The Hard Hat, uh, which is about um, 
a Cornell lacrosse player who lost his life, but uh, what his teammates learned from him as a, as a leader and as a teammate and how he lived his life. And it's a really powerful book. Uh, and what I like about his books is they're, they're very easy to, to read. You know, they're usually 120 or 150 pages. They're short kind of things that you can read uh, easily kind of before bed or, 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 or during the day. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I, I just love watching like I've really gotten into F1 in, in quarantine here um, and the teamwork and innovation that you, you know, for me, it's really inspiring about how the engineers, drivers, um, how they all work together to make, you know, to, to get better. And like they, it's easy in, in that sport because they have a stopwatch so they can see if they're getting better because it'll tell them in terms of are they taking tenths of a second or hundredths of a second off their time in hockey we don't have that luxury right so um trying to think about how we're going to improve and measure that improvement is a is a real challenge so um i enjoy that uh, but those are a few kind of recommendations that i have off of, oh and, and the best actually book on culture is legacy uh by james carr um or kerr uh he uh, that that book about the New Zealand All Blacks rugby culture I think is a must read for any any coach at any level that wants to have a successful culture. There's so much you can take out of it. So yeah, yeah, a lot of great recommendations and legacy is one that we've heard an, a number of times and, and people really enjoy that. But like you said, there's there's different kinds of books you can read hockey books, autobiographies, but even things on culture and leadership uh, often tie into the game and. It seems that as of late, that's the way people are going to uh, kind of branch their uh, ideas and learn new things. Throughout your career, you know, you've had a lot of different people that you've been able to interact with. And uh, you've mentioned a few who have really helped you uh, grow as a coach and as a person. Maybe just talk about, once again, your mentors who have helped get you to where you are today. And maybe touch on a few of the major lessons that they taught you collectively. Well, I think... Um... I've been really fortunate as a coach uh, over the years to have amazing people in my life. And, um, and with Hockey Canada, you know, it's such a big part of that program to have mentorship and bring people in. And, um, you know, so I was lucky as a, you know, kind of up and coming coach within the national team program that I had access to the best coaches in the world at the time, you know, so Pat Quinn and uh, Barry Trotz and, and Mike Babcock and Ralph Kruger, like I had opportunities to have kind of dinners with them and learn from them. And, and those were great. Like those are kind of like momentary mentors where you get to go into a room and ask questions or, you know, sit down for a couple hours. And those are amazing opportunities. But I think the most important mentors are the ones that are constantly around and you can always bounce ideas and questions off of. So um, probably there's three people that come to mind. Um, uh, you know, Karen Hughes was one of them. I, I mentioned her. I think I can't understate her uh, impact. Uh, I can't overstate her impact on me as a coach uh, and how I developed and learned. I think she was my first mentor and, and in, in some ways my greatest mentor for that. Um, Wally Kozak, uh, who you know, constantly gives back to the game. And uh, he has a YouTube channel where he puts stuff up almost every day. So for any of your listeners, if they want to learn from a coach that's probably forgotten more about hockey than we'll ever learn, uh, Wally is a great um, mentor and he's always happy to help and have a conversation. And, um, and so he's been very helpful for me. And then Melody Davidson, 
as well, who uh, won so many gold medals with Canada and, and led the women's program. And now she's working for Own the Podium. But I, I'm fortunate to call Mel a friend. And, um, you know, she just, she really listens to you too. Like she doesn't give you a lot of answers. She asks a lot of great questions, which I think is what's important about her ability to mentor is she helps you find the answers rather than giving you the answers. And of course, I think my father was, you know, an amazing influence in my life and taught me so much. And um, at the time I didn't realize I was learning it, but now as an adult, I, I, I look back on those moments of playing on the golf course or little notes he would leave for me in the morning and um, was an amazing mentor. But if I had any advice for anybody who's a coach or a leader in any way that is, if you're ever in a room with someone um, that has more experience than you ask them questions and don't be afraid. And I think one of my things my dad always said to me is there's, there's no, never a stupid question. The only stupid question is the one that goes unasked. So, um, and I, what I found through my experience is most people in the game of hockey in particular, if you ask them a question, they're happy to give you an answer. Yeah, definitely ha happy to, to share their experiences and, that's really where mentors come into play in the game of hockey. And so many people are willing to help others. And uh, you had a great piece of advice there, but as a final question that I ask everybody, if you could give one piece of advice, maybe to yourself before going into coaching, maybe before that training camp as a player or someone in a similar position, what piece of advice would you give them hoping that they would be successful in coaching and or hockey operations? It's such a tough question to answer, but I think, what I've learned over the years, if I could go back and tell myself something would be to understand yourself as well as you can. That, that self-awareness is gonna help you grow. Um, it's gonna help you forgive yourself when you make mistakes. Um, failure is part of learning. It's probably the most important part of learning. So you have to be, I think you have to be your own best friend and self-awareness is the way to do that. And if you're your own best friend, then when you do make mistakes, you'll learn from them and grow a lot faster than beating yourself up in the moment. Yeah, tremendous piece of advice there that I think a lot of people should use moving forward and, and likely will. So with that, Dan, I just want to thank you once again for sharing your experiences about the women's game and some of your experience at the highest levels. And hopefully quarantine is, is soon over for Ontario and we're all back in the rinks and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thanks, Ryan. I enjoyed chatting with you today. All right. I really appreciate it. Take care. Okay. I'd like to thank Dan for joining me to speak about the women's game and his career to date. With a lot of great lessons and stories, the interview sparked a lot of further conversation. So again, I'd like to thank him for joining me. If you would like to get in touch with Dan to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Matt Coleman, assistant coach with the Stouffville Spirit. Diving into the world of mental performance coaching as well, Matt brings a full skill set to the modern coaching staff, so that will be an episode you do not want to miss out on. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and thank you for your support of the podcast as of late. Moving forward, we hope to share more stories and present more great content as we learn about hockey operations and those who work within the game. As always, stay safe and all the best.